0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to ToledoCalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. It's a story that I seem to tell over and over again, um, but one I don't get tired of talking about and one I'm very thankful for. 1951, there were five families who sensed God put a call in their heart to do something for Him. And they looked at the landscape of northwest Ohio, and they said, there's too many lost people in Toledo, not enough churches, and we need to do something about this. And those five families took a big step of faith, and on the first Sunday in December 1951, they launched Calvary Assembly of God on a storefront property on the second floor on Facet Street on the east side of Toledo. And since that time, God has given Calvary Church the opportunity to help thousands of people to connect, grow, and serve, and come to experience life change through Jesus Christ. And we we still hear those same words that they said in 1951, there are too many lost people in Toledo. True? Now, that's an interesting phrase, lost people. Not not everybody likes it. In fact, sometimes some people will go, that's kind of an antiquated phrase. Phrase like I could hear people saying that back in, in the 50s, but is it something you would, would still say today? Or some people go, look, I'm kind of offended by that because I don't feel like I'm lost. I think I'm a lost person. I hope, I hope you're not offended by that term, but it's probably still one of the best ones that we can use. Not because they used it 69 years ago when they started Calvary, but because they use that term because Jesus uses that term. See, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, here's what Jesus says. He says, for the Son of Man, he's speaking of himself here, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the, anybody? <laughs> the lost. It's not, a, it's not a slam. Have you ever been lost? Like, I mean, sometimes it's, it's, it's kind of if you're out and about and you don't know where you're at, sometimes it's kind of exciting to be lost. Sometimes it's kind of fun to be in the middle of nowhere, not really know where you are, but not if the stakes are high, not if you've got to be somewhere at a certain time. Or, or not if you're running out of gas. Anybody? <laughs> or not if you're in a, in a place where you just don't feel comfortable or you're not familiar or, or you know that there's a time pressure. Really, at the end of the day, if you, if you want to feel uneasy, uncertain, just get lost and you'll find it. I did not just tell you to get lost. You know what I mean when I said that. <laughs> it sounded a little rude when it came out of my mouth. But see, here's the deal. We live in a world that is increasingly acknowledging the lostness of the day and time that we live in not just within the realms of theology or the church. There's a group that's called the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. In 1947, they created something called the Doomsday Clock. You may have seen it in the news just this last week. It's it's an image that they use, it's a metaphor, but the clock is used to communicate the severity of threats to the earth and mankind based on the minute hand on that clock, the proximity of the minute hand To midnight. Midnight symbolizes the apocalypse. Just this last week, this this group announced their their statement, their kind of status for 2020, and they said that they have moved the, the minute hand on this doomsday clock closer to midnight, closer to the apocalypse. They now say that they've moved it from two minutes away from midnight to 100 seconds to midnight, It's the closest it's been since the Cold War. Here's what they said. They said they've moved it 20 seconds closer to midnight, closer to apocalypse than ever, because of a new willingness of political leaders to reject the negotiations and institutions that can protect civilization over the long term. They're explicitly warning leaders and citizens around the world that the international security situation is now more dangerous than it has ever been, even at the height of the Cold War. There's some good news to start your Sunday, amen? But here's, here's what it is. For me, I read that, and I go, okay, that's an acknowledgement, not by the church, but by leaders in our world to go, we're in a pretty desperate spot as humanity. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? <laughs> like, but when I read that, it doesn't fill me with fear, because I have hope, because I once was lost, but now I'm found. And it reminds me that lost people need Jesus. True? And that we have the privilege to share this with them. There's too many lost people. And so that's why as a church we're taking bold steps of faith. Why we're moving ahead. Why through this series of messages we're seeking God's favor. We're coming to him in in prayer together as a church. In his word. In prayer together. To ask for his leadership. For his direction. For his favor. We're asking God to help us to move forward in faithfulness on our part so that we can do things as a church to be in a place where we don't say hey we're done. But where we say God will you use us because there's still too many lost people. Now, we're using kind of a, a, an image, a, a metaphor, if you will, to try to communicate this through this series. It's, it's pretty simple, but it's one that helps me, I think, can help you too. We're, we're calling this, we're, we're kind of using the picture, if you will, of a tree. Let's see how I do here. And uh, you're already laughing down there. Put some green on there. Is that a little better than last week? No, Thank you. <laughs> For your honesty, um, former friend, that's good, and uh, it's not that's a that's like dead cauliflower. that's rough. Okay. It's what we call the vision tree. We're just using this as an analogy, right, to help us to talk about this concept. If you want to see biblically where I think this comes from, and this is the passage that's kind of motivated me, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 says this, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream." It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That's a pretty cool story, isn't it? That's the kind of life I want to live. So we talked last week in particular about the roots on This tree like where where do those roots come from and how do we develop them in our lives we, we use this as a template kind of as a formula to help us to think through and consider this in our lives mark chapter 12 verse 30 if you're going to say how how am I going to be rooted in my faith how am I going to be rooted in the Lord here's here's I think where it starts mark chapter 12 verse 30 love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So we we have identified kind of four roots to help us think through how do we develop a vision in our lives. And look, this tool that we're looking at is designed to hopefully be a bit of a metaphor that helps us as a church talk about the vision that God's given to us. But even more, I hope it's a tool that especially as we go through these 40 days of prayer, you're using this to help you consider what's God's vision, not just for my church, but what's God's vision for my life. So we talk about this with regards to our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Last week, we we took a look at this idea of our heart. Your heart is is the most important thing in your life. It's the center of who you are. It's it's where your roots find their foundation that give you stability, that give you the, the, the nourishment and the energy that you need. And it begins with this for us as a church, at our very heart, The most important thing to us as a church is that God is first. Do you remember that? Anybody remember that? Okay, all right, so you were somewhat awake. Okay, so that's good. So we talked about that last week, this idea that God is first. Today I want to talk about this second root, and I kind of want to do it in a context that that takes us back to 10th grade biology class a little bit. Because you remember how the root works? The roots are in the ground. And they pull out nutrients from the soil, and they pull out moisture and water from the soil. And then out of the roots, it sends that, that moisture, it sends the water kind of upward through the trunk of the tree. There's, there's collections of cells that are inside the tree that, a lot, that work like the, the plumbing, right? Work like the pipes that sends the water up through the tree, nourishing the tree as it goes till it gets up out through the limbs and the branches and out to the leaves and the fruit and allows the tree to grow. And then as the tree grows, it goes out to the leaves. The leaves need that water to be able to, to make their food through a process that your biology teacher wants you to remember that is called, anybody? Photosynthesis. Wow, that was good. Awesome. So so you've got photosynthesis happening, and then when it makes the food, guess what happens? It sends then that food back down through the trunk of the tree and even into the roots so that from top to bottom, that tree is growing. There is this process where life continues to flow through that tree. Through that trunk, there is this process that there is energy, that there is food, there is activity, there is, if you will, life. That's flowing from top to bottom. Now, your soul, from a biblical perspective, if you need to talk about it, how Jesus uses this term, how the Old Testament uses this term. When we talk about your soul, we're talking about the seat of your emotion and your passions. So the question is, what is it that flows through you? What is it that energizes you? What is it that moves through your life? I guess if I had to ask a question, and this is the question that is, as you go through your readings this week on our 40 days of prayer, if I had to ask a question, is this what is your passion? Like, what is it that flows through you? What is it that energizes you? Like, we talked last week about what's at the very center of who you are. But once you know that, what is it that, that moves you? Let, let, me, let me do this. Let me give you three passion questions. Like if you're wondering and asking for yourself, what's my passion? Now for some of you, maybe, maybe you know what it is. You know, you're like, I know why I was created. I know what gets me out of bed every morning. I know what I'm called to do. But if you're like me, that's, that's not clear every morning. Anybody else? <laughs> and some days you just go, I'm not sure. And I'll be honest, some seasons are like that, Right? Because things change. Time changes. Our seasons of life change. The things that are going on around us in our jobs and in our families and even in our spiritual lives go through these times. And sometimes you've got to go, God, what, what have you wired me for? What is flowing through me? How have you created me? What is your passion? And how do you figure that out? Let me give you three passion questions. Like if you're, if you're asking this, and I hope that as you, you go through, we'll talk just in a moment about our readings here for this week, but as you go through that, Maybe you'll keep this, this idea in mind. Three passion questions. The first one is this. What breaks your heart? Number one, what breaks your heart? What is it that when you see it or hear about it or experience it, it moves you deeply in a way that goes beyond just emotion? So it's not just a Hallmark movie. right? This goes deeper. Like, like what breaks your heart in a way that you say that's not right? And I wish I could do something about it because maybe God's wired you that way. Or maybe he has you in a place for this season to respond in some way. The first question I I would challenge you to ask, what breaks your heart? Here's the second one. What motivates you to action? Number two, what motivates you to action? What is it in your life that moves you in such a way that you go, I got to do something about that? I have got to do something about that. And for some of you, maybe there's something that you felt motivated to do, you felt moved to do for a long time, but nobody's given you permission to do anything about it. Look, if God's stirring something in your heart, don't sit there and say to yourself, well, I'm just me, or I don't have this, or I can't do that. If God has put that in your heart, he's got that flowing through you for a reason. Last one, what brings you joy? What, what, from a passion question, what brings you joy? What, when you, you experience it, or when you do it, or when you're involved in that? It is more than just work. Now, I'm not saying it's not hard work. Sometimes it might be something that's difficult to do. Sometimes it might be something that is a challenge, But it's not that it makes you happy. It's not that it's easy, but it brings you joy. There's a fulfillment that comes to your life as a result of this. Here's what I believe. If you are rooted in where God has you to be and he's at work, what he's doing in your life may be difficult, but you will find yourself fruitful and fulfilled in that place. And that fulfillment brings you joy. So for some of you, those three questions could be something that, that's, that's worth taking some extra time this week. Maybe, maybe this is a week where you say, God, I'm going to set aside a meal or a day to fast, maybe multiple days to fast, and say, God, what is, what is the passion? What have you put inside of me? What do you want to do in my life? What breaks my heart? What motivates me to action? What brings me joy? If you were to ask this question about Calvary as a church, what's Calvary's passion? Well, we would ask those same questions, right, to say, what is our passion as a church? And if we had to define it in just some simple words, it would be this, that people are the priority, that for us as a church, what we do starts with God. We know we are created to worship and to glorify him. But if he has to ask us, what is our passion? What are we passionate about? What is it that flows through us? It's this call that people are the priority. And we're going to look at what God's word says about that today. If you say, what breaks your heart as a church? It's that there's too many lost people, right? If you've not been in a place in a while where you've interacted with someone who you can tell they are in need of hope or they're in need of peace and knowing that you found something in Christ that you wish they had, that you wanted to share that, that your heart broke for them. If you haven't been in that place for a while, I would encourage you, ask God to break your heart for those that are lost. You ask the question, what, what, what motivates you to action? I, I can tell you this as a church. What motivates us is we want people to experience life change. We want to help people to connect and grow and serve in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you ask what brings joy, there's nothing that brings joy quite like seeing what God does in someone's life. Before this message is over, we want to share with you a really cool story of how Jesus brings life change. But here's the question. If people are the priority then, and this is where we want to park for these next few moments. If people are the priority, then what do we do? Like, What's the practical response to that? Let me give you four things for us to consider if people are the priority. Number one, we live like people are the priority. (laughs) If people are the priority, if, if if that's what you see in God's heart, if that's what we're passionate about as a church, then we live like people are the priority. Here's what we know. People are the priority to Jesus. As we look throughout the stories of the gospel... He goes over and over out of his way to impact and change people's lives. Let me me give you one example. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you know what a a sheep is without a shepherd? Lost, and that's bad, right? And so you've got to remember that. Verse 37. Then, Je- I'm sorry. then Jesus said to his <laughs> disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Do you see what happened there? Jesus had his heart broken, and it motivated him to action, and he praised that God would use others to be fruitful and fulfilled and bring joy through the process. See, the passion of Jesus, the priority is People. So so what we're gonna do this week as we go through our readings is we're gonna read together through the the book of 1 John. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of 1 John, John was one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, many theologians believe that of all the, the 12 apostles, John was the one. He was a cousin of Jesus, they believe, and that he had a very close relationship, that they were really like best friends. And so if anybody knew the human person of Jesus, well, it was the Apostle John. You, you pick that up when you read his writings. And so there's, there's five chapters in the letter that John wrote to a, he wrote it to a church to help them. And so we're going to read a chapter a day, Monday through Friday this week. We're going to work our way through, which is really cool because for some of you, if, if this time Bible reading is like a new thing for you, I'm excited because you're going to read the the book of 1 John from start to finish. They're they're relatively short chapters each day. This may be the first time in, in your life that you've really read through a book of the Bible in a way to kind of understand it and see it from beginning to end. And I know God's going to use his word in your life. There's two things that come out real clear in the book of 1 John. One is this. John wants us to see that God is first and how important what it was that Jesus did for us. And then he really talks to us about how people are the priority. And that if people matter that much to God, they should matter to us, and we should live like they're the priority. Let me give you an example. Here's what he says. 1 John chapter 4 verse 19. He says, "We love because he first loved us." Did you see that verse is 419? Did you see that? That's that's with our theme verse, is we love the 419. We love Because he first loved us. Verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I mean, he makes it very clear there that if people are the priority to God, who we can't see, then we need to be sure to love people who we can see, to which you say, Chad, that is not always easy. Can I get an amen? amen. Right, because do you, do you know some people who are difficult to make the priority in your life? Sometimes it's difficult to love people. Sometimes people are difficult. Sometimes people are insensitive. Isn't that true? Okay, you're so holy. Isn't that true? right? Sometimes they're demanding. Sometimes they're just flat out wrong. Can I get an amen? I mean, like sometimes people are needy. Sometimes they're self-centered. Sometimes it's hard to love people and treat them like they're the priority. Isn't that right? I mean, I think it's just honest for us to talk about this because you read that passage and then you hear me talk about it and you say, Chad, that's cool and I'll try, but I'm not perfect. What do you think I am, the Pope or something? Well, let me give you some good news. Even the Pope struggles with this, did anybody see the video of the Pope on New Year's Eve this year? Anybody see this? I want to show you this because I, I just I, I personally think it's funny. And so um, take a look at this. This is New Year's Eve, right? It's late. Here's the Pope. He's out there, and he's greeting people. And uh, take a look at this video. There he is. And people just, you know, he's one of the most famous people in the world. Many people look to him as a great spiritual leader. Look at the little girl there in the back left. She's got the hat on. She's so excited. I'm going to touch the Pope, you know. And so you got all that going on. And so now he's got other people on the other side. Watch this. Whoa. Now watch him. Here he goes. Yes. I'm not going to lie, sometimes at the end of third service. <laughs> right, he got a lot of criticism for that. And I'm watching it and going, oh, brother, I feel your pain. <laughs> because sometimes people, you know, and he, he, he said, it was interesting, that the Pope said, love makes us patient, so many times we lose patience, even me, he said. I apologize for yesterday's bad example, he said. And I was like, oh, no, brother, thank you. (laughs) Why? Because sometimes it's difficult to love people. So that's why I need to be reminded that people are the priority. Who who in your life needs to be the priority this week? Like, who is it in your world that God is maybe speaking to your heart right now and saying, "Hey, hey, if I love people this much, maybe this is a good week for you to set some of yourself aside and make your spouse your priority. Maybe it's a good week for you to honor your father or your mother. Maybe this is the week you need to bless your kids or serve a coworker or encourage a classmate or help a neighbor or show compassion to a stranger where you need to set yourself aside enough and make people, other people, the priority in your life. Let me take this one more step. Maybe one of the best ways that you could do this is to pray for someone Like, who would God have for you to pray for this week? Because here's what I found. When I pray for someone, it puts them in a place where they can receive God's blessing. But can I also tell you this? When I pray for someone, it puts me in a place where God can help my heart to be right. Anybody? Right, so there's people in my life who on a regular basis, I I need to pray for them. One, because I love them. Two, I need help loving them. Right? Do you know what I mean? And so who who would God have you to pray for? I'd encourage you, write it. Even just if you just write somebody's name up in the corner of your journal this week as you're moving along through these chapters, or that you specifically, and not just go, Lord, would you please pray? I pray for Chad. Would you help him not to be so annoying this week? Not just that, but that you pray for God to bless them, that you pray specifically for something in their lives. And can can I go one more step here? We doing all right? Okay, I just... One more step. We we are living in a very politically charged culture right now, are we not? No statement. No statement here. Just just an observation. Right? You see it in the headlines. Good news is I'm sure that's going to lessen as we get closer to November, isn't it? (laughs) People are the priority. Not politics. People are the priority. Look, some of you, part of what flows through you, something that you're passionate about is politics, and that's okay. In fact, I think we need more Christians active in our our government. We need more Christians active in the political process. I think that's awesome, and if, if God has put you in a place to do that, that's fantastic. But can I encourage you, be careful that your politics do not become polarizing. Like there's a difference between politics and people, And oftentimes, we let our passions define who we are, or maybe even worse, who someone else is, without us ever even getting to know them. Like, we we live in a really politically charged culture right now, where there are well-intentioned Christ followers on, it seems like, every side of the issues right now. And remember what the goal is. The goal is not, we won on November 3rd. The goal is, well done on the day that Jesus returns. And be careful, I'm just encouraging you, be passionate about the things that God has put in your life, but just make sure that in the process, you don't let your passion polarize you from people who God would have you make the priority. And that when this election is over, what people see in you is not a candidate who won or lost, but that they still see Jesus in your life. Does that make sense? Can be wise about how you use your words. First John chapter 3, verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Here's, here's what I've learned about politics. When that election is over, you have to go back to those relationships. And you can say so much that you lose your voice. So be careful that you don't lose your voice in other people's lives. Okay, can we be done there? It's fun to talk about that, isn't it? All right, number two. If people are the priority, we live like people are the priority. Number two, if people are the priority, then we give like people are the priority. Number two, we give like people are the priority. Why, why do we say this? Because we know that people are the priority to God the Father. People are the priority to God the Father. We see this from the very beginning Genesis chapter 1, when God creates the world on that last day after he creates humanity, he looks at it all and says, Man, that's very good. Like he loves people so much so that John chapter 3, verse 16 says this For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, this God's response is that when he loves someone, he gives. He loves humanity so much that he was willing to give his own, his one and only son to be a sacrifice for you and I. So if God's response is to give to people because people are the priority, then our response should be to give as well. And you say, Chad, what do I give? One of those things is that we give of our time. Like, that, that's important. We give of our time in those things we just talked about. Like, who are the people that you need to live like they're a priority in your life? One of the biggest ways that that will be lived out is as you give of your time. We also give of our talent. We'll actually talk about this in a couple of weeks, but, but, but some of us, God has given us unique capabilities and gifts that we can use somehow to bless him and his people, and whether that's through our time or our talent, whether that's in the local church, whether that's through some other ministry, or whether that's with the people that are across the street from you. Like, how can you do that? And then we also give of our treasure, our resources, our money, our cash. Like, that's one of the things that as we talk about believing that God's gonna move us forward, that he's gonna help us to expand and grow, and we talked about this last week, one of the just very clear facts of this is that for us to do this, resource will be needed. True? And one of the things where we start, before we even talk about the resource that is needed for this project, but let's just talk about money from God's perspective. I know when you got up this morning, you said, boy, I sure hope I go to a church where they talk about politics and money, didn't you? That was your thought. (laughs) We talked last week. Look, I, I, I wanna make sure when we talk about this, we talk about it in a way that is not manipulative, but in a way that is truthful and biblical. So when we talk about our lives and our money And our God, here's here's what God said to us. Malachi chapter three, verse eight. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Look, for those of us that have heard that principle in Scripture of tithing and practiced that, I think we're clear to say, like, I don't have a problem talking about it because I know the difference that it's made in my life, for me personally. That when I've been faithful and obedient to say, God, I'm going to practice this biblical principle of tithing. What is that? Well, the scripture says that when we receive anything, anything that we have comes to us from... God, and so we take the first 10% of that. Now, the language there comes out of agriculture because you were looking at an agricultural society as opposed to the society that we live in from a cash perspective, but he says you take the first fruits, you take the first 10% of what God gives to you, that first 10%, you give back to him not because he's mean and demanding, but because he knows how life works and that there's power in giving and generosity and that when we give back to him that first 10%, then it opens ourselves up for blessings in our lives. And this is the biblical principle of tithing. If you've not practiced this in your life, then I would encourage you to say, God, is this something that you have for me? And uh, he, he says it right here. He says, test it out. Try it out. And watch and see if I don't do something really special in your life. And some people go, Chad, that's, that's cool, but that's Old Testament. Like, like Malachi is the, the first part of the book. That's Old Testament. Me and my money are in the New Testament. <laughs> and so I think it's an Old Testament principle, which you're right, it is an Old Testament principle. But it's not an old principle. It's not a dead principle. This is an alive principle. I know this because listen to what Jesus said. Jesus was talking with some of the religious leaders of that time, and he says this, Matthew twenty three twenty three. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. Remember, this is an agricultural society. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Did Jesus just call them out? You better believe he did. He said, look, your hearts aren't right. You're following the letter of the law, but your hearts aren't right. So you would expect him to say, hey, Forget your legalism and just focus on your hearts. Instead, look at what he says. End of of verse 23. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Jesus says, look, make sure your heart is in the right place. But he also says, hey, that principle, it's still in place. And it's powerful what God says here. He uses the word curse, which causes you to be almost a little defensive, freaked out, but it's because he loves you. What he also says is that when you honor this biblical principle, you put yourself in a place to receive blessing that your mind can't even understand. He says, I'll bless you in a way that you can't even hold on to it. And it's not just financial blessing. I know I've seen it in so many other ways, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, that when I say, God, the first of what I have, I entrust to you, then God says, Chad, if if I can trust you with that, and I know that you'll honor me with that little, then I know I can entrust you with more. Isn't that true with our kids? And that's how it works in our lives. Look, God blesses his house, his church, through your giving. And God blesses his people through your giving. And God blesses you through your giving. So, So my encouragement to you is this, not with manipulation and not with forcefulness, If you are in a place in your life where currently you're not practicing obedience in this area of biblical stewardship, as a part of walking through this this week, would you just say, God, what would you have me to do? Not what would Calvary have me to do. Not what would Chad have me to do. God, what would you have me to do? And as his word and his spirit work in your heart, would you take, he says right here, test me in this. And watch and see what he'll do in your life. So so if people are the priority then we live that way, we give that way. Here's number three, we grow like people are the priority. Number three, we grow like people are the priority. And this, we're we're talking specifically about us as a church. Look, we really do believe that people are the priority to the church, It's cool that God has allowed us to grow as a church and that we've seen more and more people come and experience life change. That's awesome. But at the end of the day, it's not about the numbers. Names are more important than numbers. You know that, right? And we want a new room that's gonna give us more seats, but please know that souls are more important than seats. And the stories of what God is doing in people's lives in fact, one of, the, one of the key things that we want to keep in mind is even if God allows us to grow more, how do we help this be a place where it's easy for people to connect, grow, and serve? That even shows up in the way that we're working forward to design the building that we're, that we're looking at that we would like to uh, propose and we're praying and believing that God is leading us in this direction. So last week, we talked about this building and, uh, and did not show you anything, but said, would you like to see the pictures? And you said, yes. and I said, come back, and you did. Do you wanna see the pictures? Yes. Okay, well then, okay. So we're, we, we had, our, our tech team works really hard and I think I messed, and there it is. I didn't mess it up this time, all right, good. Okay, so you see you see this here. we're going to try to draw a little bit to help you see this um this down here let's uh, let's get this here. Can you see that down there? You will here it comes. here it comes One of the worst things that you can do is just sit quiet in church, isn't it? Or three people start to snore in that moment. so okay, so. Th- Okay, so this is what it's going to look like in a snowstorm. (laughs) And, uh, okay, so we've got that image there. The the back of our building, so Conant Street and the curve is down at the bottom of that screen, and then the back of our building, we're going to expand and add about 34,000 square feet for us to be able, let's kind of do this and uh, see if that is going to work, and it is not doing it for us. There we go. So we'll be able to expand and to add that extra facility that will give us a new auditorium. I think we've got an image of the lobby if we're able to get there. Okay. So if you are in our atrium right now and your back is to the fireplace and you're looking out the back exit, are you with me? If you're looking out, that's what you're going to see. So about where those columns are are currently where the building ends right now. So that's the outside of our current building. And then if you were to stand, you see the new glass windows over there to the right? If you were to stand there with your back to those windows and just kind of look down the hall, that's what you would see. And so we're adding some expanded atrium space because we know that one of the most important things that happens here on a Sunday is the opportunity that we have to connect with one another. True? Now let me just give you kind of a a, a word of encouragement here. Every every time we've done something like this, it's been important for us to say, do you see that image that you're looking at? It's pretty cool, isn't it? What's going to be built will not look like that. Right, somewhere something's gonna change. Like somewhere something will be different. And somewhere someone will come to me and go, you know, I really thought that chair was gonna be a shade darker from the picture. We failed you, and I'm so sorry, right? You know. So, so like these are good things to keep in mind. So, so if you go back to that image, you can look. You can see kind of down there on the end, we'll, we'll pick up some new restrooms. You can see a couple of entrances that go into the auditorium. So let's take a step into the auditorium and take a look there. And uh, so we're looking at a room that's going to seat about 1,460 people as it's currently designed. Um, it will have both a flat floor on the bottom, which we'll explain to you here in a moment, as well as... Um, it will have some, some raised kind of uh, stadium type seating like we have in this room as well. Again, we're not exactly sure what our chair's gonna look like, what's the cross gonna look like, where are the screens gonna be placed. We're working with architects and designers right now to, to finish all of that, but that's kind of a, a, a general idea of what it's looking at. Pretty cool, huh? Okay, couple of thoughts. One. Um, we have the the flat floor. People say, well, why, why would you do an extended flat floor? A couple of reasons. One, it allows for some increased flexibility, right? When you have chairs that can be moved around, then you can do more in that space. It also allows us to set up the space kind of for the number of people that are coming, so you can have some flexibility there. One of the things that it also allows us to do, which we're really excited about, is for a long time, we've not really been able to have much space here at the front of this room for people to come and receive prayer, right? To pray with and for one another. And that's a part of what we believe God would have for us to do as a body of believers, to, 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 to lead people in experiencing Christ, to pray for one another. We believe that Jesus still heals people, right? But we want to have a space where we can pray for those things. A couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night, we we took some time and we we prayed for those who were in need of healing. And some of the people that came down, by the time they got down here, they had to be prayed for for things that they didn't intend to come for. They just got hurt on the way, right? (laughs) Not really. Not really. But it's tight. Okay, so God, how can we have that flexibility? Here's the other thing. With that flat floor, and you know what it's like in this room. When you walk in this room your focus is in one place because it's a movie theater, which creates a great environment for Jesus and me, but not so much for Jesus and we. And we want a room that's designed because people are the priority, and God allows us to connect with and minister to one another, which is important, right? We're also designing this room in a way, I know it looks really big, especially from that one angle, but the way that it's being designed is so that if you are in the farthest part of that room, Once it's built, you will actually feel like you're closer than what it is when you're in the farthest part of this room because we want to know that we're connecting with one another because people are the priority. Now, look, if you're like me... You've probably got all kinds of questions and what we're going to do is try to help answer those over the next couple of weeks. Next week we're going to show you some animations where it's like you're walking through the building which will be kind of cool. We'll have a website that we'll launch next week and roll out where you can get some more information. And then those meetings we're going to do on February 11th, 13th and 15th. You're going to want to come out to that. We're going to propose some more things. We also have some like virtual reality stuff where you're able to like it feels like you're standing right in the room which is really kind of cool that you'll be able to check out and take a look at. But remember that the whole reason we're doing this is not because we want to be cool or because we want numbers. The whole reason we're doing this is because, help me, people are the priority. So we live and we give and we grow. One last thought, number four. We love like people are the priority. We love like people are the priority. Look, we love people because God loves people. And God is doing something special in his church. He's touching people's lives. And I want you to hear and see a story of what God has done and how he has, in a miraculous way, been at work in some people's lives and then used Calvary to be able to help them to find a place where they can connect and grow and serve. If you would, please, turn your attention to the screens.
1: We were going down like a destructive path that really would have
0: Yeah, not... looking back at
2: it, the way we were partying and... We had a lot of addictions. If God wouldn't have got hold of us at that right time, we, we would have definitely destroyed our family.
1: It became a place of like, this is our life, and we weren't happy. And we knew we weren't happy, but we didn't know what else to do.
2: We were at our friend's house in Cleveland partying, and um, I felt an evil presence in the house. Like, it was, there's something it was wrong in this house. And um, I told her we have to leave. We've gotta go. Um, And she's like, just calm down. Like, no, there's something, there's an evil presence in this house, I can feel it. And she's like, no, we can't go anywhere. We have the kids, we've been drinking, blah, blah, blah. I asked God, I said, Lord, if you help me through this, I will follow you. I don't know how to explain it, but I just heard a voice like, okay, like just calm. Woke up the next day with the peace that's unexplainable. There's there's honestly nothing nothing like it. There's there was no there was no drug, there was no alcohol that that could compare to this type of peace that I had. And we got married and God just changed our lives from night to day. And it's
1: it's crazy because it was literally one day
2: The only church we could think of that was close by was this church. So we went in and tried it and never looked back.
1: You know, when our kids were really little, they weren't coming to church. We weren't like going to church. We weren't pursuing that at all. We didn't pray with them. And now they come multiple times a week and it's like a struggle to get them to leave. Like we're so like thankful that God got us when he did because our kids, this is the life that they know. And this is what they're used to This is where they're supposed to be. I think we were coming here for like six months on Sundays, every Sunday, before we got connected with our group and God did change our life in those six months. But, you know, like he went we went from like here to here and then we took that group and then we, now we're like, you know, we feel like we're just growing and when
2: we're struggling or when they're struggling, we're able to, to come together and, and, and be stronger.
1: Even when we had the flu a couple weeks ago and there were so many people like let's bring you meals, let me bring you medicine, you know, let me do something to help you. And I think that's the first time in our lives that people have actually like truly cared. It's not just an act, it's not just come to our church and, you know, be here on Sundays to make sure that you check off that box, it's that we want you here and we want you to have that life change and that encounter and know Jesus with him having a life change quicker, and then me doing it slower, Calvary's been there for us. Him take the next steps of where he's at, but also me take the steps where I'm at, even if we're not in the same place. Come like,
2: as you are. Yeah. And and, and Jesus will change you that whole, that whole way.
1: The first time his mom came, she was like in tears, like you can feel the spirit of God here. I like to bring people because I like to show like especially our families, like this is what we are now. It's nice to be able to bring people in and say like this is this is our community now. You know, that's like really our goal here is to go out and get people to know Jesus and it's not just to come to Calvary.
2: We just there's there's so much to think back that God's so good to bring us out of that and and to put us where we are now.
1: We went from really our relationship Probably ending, and now oh for sure it would end yeah. for sure. And now our relationship really couldn't be stronger, and the trust is there, and the love is there, and you know he's like the best dad and the best husband that I could ever ask for.
2: Every time I think about it, it joy just comes up, and it's just like it's wow, you really that good. Yeah,
1: like, and God like reached out to us and got us without us even asking for it. You know, and he like saw us like just about to go over the edge, of we like, and destroying our lives. And you know, he got us and really saved us from that. And there's really nothing we can do to ever say thank you to him. I mean, what do you say thank? How do you say thank you for, like, literally saving our lives and our kids' lives?
2: We've seen what he's done, and we know what he's gonna do.
0: Can we thank Emily and Isaiah for sharing their story with us? Two quick thoughts one God is doing something really unique in the life of our church right now and if you call Calvary your church home I wouldn't just invite you to begin to pray God if people are the priority what does that mean for me what does that mean in my life what do you want to do in and through my life so that through me and through your church lost people can come to experience the hope that's found in Jesus Christ Second thing, for some of you, you, you watched that video and you've heard us talk about God's love today and you've said to yourself, okay, there's something missing in my life. Lost? Yeah, I've been there. And you, you heard Emily and Isaiah tell their story and you said to yourself, there's something that I need, whatever they've found I need in my life. And can I ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? And whether you're here in Auditorium One or you're in Auditorium Two, or maybe you're watching this on a screen somewhere, that that you just take a moment and think about your own life. And if you would say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need your help. I need your forgiveness. And I need your direction. And today I give my life to you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? You can raise it and put it right back down. Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks. You just say, God, I can't do it on my own anymore. I need you to be at work in my life. Yeah, thank you. Anybody else, you can just raise it, put it it right back down. Say, God, today I need that. If you raised your hand, or if you know that you have found that hope and that forgiveness and that purpose in Christ, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sin, and I ask today that you forgive my sin, be my savior. I give my life to you, my risen Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. If If you prayed that prayer, you're beginning a journey of knowing Jesus and that hope and that grace that we talk about here today. If that's the first time you've prayed that prayer or you wanna know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope as you leave today, you'll grab one of these cards. They're on the shelves as you leave the auditoriums. They say, I have decided. Take that to our Connection Center, which is in the atrium, and we have a Bible we wanna give to you, wanna pray with you, and just wanna say thanks and encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we go from here, we ask that you would go with us, Lord, would you help us to live our lives with you first and that through you we would make people the priority and we give all of this to you. Send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.